0: But you are here today, and we are closing off our series on sin. And um, I'm hopefully going to have a little bit of fun with this one. The last two, I know that we've been talking a lot about really hard stuff. And um, today's not going to be much different, so just warning you, there's going to be things that you don't like, and I'm going to press into things that you don't like really hard because I think it's really important... But hopefully from there, you're going to realize that God's actually got something really amazing for each and every one of us. And um, we'll just do a quick summary recap because each message builds on uh, uh, each one. So if you have missed any of the messages, they're all on the podcast. Uh, I think it's really important that we understand what sin is because when we don't understand what sin is, we don't understand what salvation is. And that's what today is really going to focus on. And so as a summary, we spoke about how sin, the definition of sin is really Redefining good and evil for ourselves without God. So we are saying to God, God, we want to take control over what is good and what is evil for me. Now where good and evil can be quite large, it can seem like really uh, 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 moral and all that, but I think it, it goes into everything. You know, like uh, um, how do I look after my health? What is good and evil for my health? Well, we need to come to God for all of these things. Every single part of our lives needs to come back to how God defines it. And we, so, so we looked at uh, Tim Keller's definition, which is, I define sin as building your identity, your self-worth, and happiness on anything other than God. And so we see that sin is not just what we do, even though that's something that we all kind of think about when it comes to sin. It's like, what am I doing right? What am I doing wrong? Uh, Sin is not what we do as much as it is the attitudes, the perspectives, the desires of our heart. And so uh, we saw that how sin uh, operates in our lives is that it causes us to reject God because God has a definition of good and evil, and sin redefines good and evil. We want to do that for ourselves. And in the process of doing so, you're saying, I don't need you, God. I'm going to push you away, And, and we're going to live according to our own standards. And really, if you look at the whole Old Testament, It is story after story after story of people doing exactly that. They define good and evil for themselves and they reject God. And then they realize how stupid that is. That is the whole Old Testament. Seriously, go read it. The Israelites going, we need you, God. God comes. God is so good. He sets them up. He tells them this is how, What is what good and evil looks like. And they go, oh, yes, God, we need that. We need that. And then they have peace. And then when they have peace, what do they do? Oh, we don't need this anymore. I'm going to do things my own way. And then they go, and God's like, okay, well, you know, we talked about this. Your uh, uh, deviance from my ways are going to mean the consequences on your life. And they go, no, the consequences are too hard. We need you, Jesus. We need you, God. And then they come back to God. I mean, read Judges. Read First and Second Kings. Oh, my gosh. We think, what is wrong with you guys? But seriously, what is wrong with humans? The whole story of the Old Testament is not just going, oh, look at you guys. You're terrible. It's saying, look at us. We are terrible. Say, that's sin. That's what sin does. We talked about how the effects of sin include a violation of trust between me and God, right? There's a relationship and also between me and other people. We talked about that word, Pesha, which is that violation of trust within relationships, right? And then we also talked about Avon, which is how uh, our ways are bent. We go away from what God is saying, and then we have the consequences of walking away from God and then we spoke about how wonderful it is that we have a lord and savior we have jesus who was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for iniquity that we might be made whole isaiah 53 a powerful powerful uh, poem about who jesus was going to be and what he was going to achieve and when you read it from the lens of understanding what sin is you're really going to go wow god that's the whole point of, of, of what we were talking about the last couple of weeks. Wow, God. Remember what we spoke about week one. He, uh, he or she who has been forgiven little loves little. And by inference, he or she who has been forgiven much loves much. When we understand how much God has done for us, it, it, it brings out praise. It brings out worship to God. And so that was uh, the last two weeks in a nutshell. And so, what next? You know, Jesus has come. He has healed us. He has made us whole. You know, uh, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquity that we might have shalom, we might have peace, we might have wholeness. Oh, wonderful. I've got wholeness. So, I get to go do whatever I want. What happens from this point? You know, when, when we have this great understanding of God's grace and, and how He has broken off all of the sin and the effects of sin on our life, we also need to understand what happens from here. Because that is really what happens on our Mondays to. Speak. Sundays, every single day of our lives. For the rest of your life, once you have received the grace of God, what happens then? Do I do anything else? Is there anything that I need to be aware of? And, and the truth is that the Bible keeps coming back to this word grace when it talks about what God has done. Isaiah, uh, sorry, Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 to 10 says this, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith this, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. For the grace of God, this is not my works. Not me. I did not achieve salvation. You are not a good person. It's what the Bible teaches us. You're not. Jesus says... In in fact, when someone came to him and said, good teacher, what did he say? He said, there's no one who's good, only God, because God is the ultimate definition of good and he knows what good and evil truly is and we are still figuring it out, right? So that's what happens with sin and so we have been saved by grace, um, and, and this is not from ourselves. It's a gift of God. However, I find it really interesting. It, when we talk about Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 8 to 10, I find that we often talk about Ephesians 2 8 to 9, and then in a different message, we talk about Ephesians 2, verse 10. We we'll talk about for it is by grace that you have been saved. It is not you; it is all God. It's a gift of God. It is wonderful, and we go, "Yes, God, we love your grace." And then some other message where we go, "Okay, okay, all right." Now we can talk about Ephesians two verse ten. You are God's handiwork. You've been created for good works. Go do those good works. We need to link those two together, and it's really confusing because God. Well, Paul says, "God, Jesus, Paul." Paul says. It is not by your works, and now you go do good works. Bit confusing, right? Anyone kind of read that and go, okay, what's happening here? Am I supposed to be doing good works or not? Am I just supposed to be receiving grace, or am I meant to be, you know, how does works and grace all come together? What does that actually look like? Well, this is where we need to understand salvation, If you understand salvation as saying the sinner's prayer where after you said jesus i am a sinner and i need you come live in me wash me clean make me whole amen if that is your version of salvation you don't it's not biblical i don't know where i was going with you don't it's not biblical that's not how the bible describes salvation The Bible has a far more complex, nuanced uh, definition of salvation. You can be baptized in water. You can have said the sinner's prayer and not experience salvation. Let me show this to you. 2 Peter 2, verses 20 to 22. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and are overcome... They are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed to them. Of them the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit, and a sow that is washed returns to a wallowing in the mud. See, when we have this perspective That salvation is a moment in time, and then I get to do whatever I want to do. You are a dog returning to vomit. Mmm, slop it up. Mmm, that's what you're doing. Yum, yum. See, the Bible is actually really, really fierce on this. It's really tough on this. Peter is teaching people who said, You have escaped the corruption because you heard about the grace of God and you said, I want that. And then you had this amazing experience of walking into freedom and then you said, You know what? I want to go back there. You're a dog returning to vomit. You have not experienced what salvation is meant to be let me give you another picture, another analogy. We sang a lot of songs this morning. I did not plan it. I did not know that. Well, I could have known, but I didn't know. I didn't really look into it. But we often talk about sin as chains, right? And, um, and, and chains are things that bind us. I'm going to see if I can do this. I don't really know if I can do this. And uh, so we are bound. Picture of sin, all right? Not the tightest picture of sin, but sin. Sin is slavery. Now, remember that what sin is, is redefining good and evil for ourselves. So me doing this is me trying to define good and evil for myself. No, 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 this is what I need, and this is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is my life. You know, I need this job. I need this promotion. I need this life. I need this kind of self-care. I need this kind of self-comfort. I need this amount of money in my bank account. I need this kind of car. I need this. I need that. I mean, I've talked a lot about money stuff, but you know, it could be anything else. I need this kind of relationship. I need people to treat me this way. I need people to give me respect. I need people to give me affirmation. I need people to see me in a certain way. Whatever we are saying about ourselves, that is sin and it is slavery. The Bible calls it slavery because when we define good and evil for ourselves, it is a slippery slope. We don't set out, I don't believe, trying to define good and evil away from God, But by definition, the moment we start going, hey, God, that's a little bit up there. I think I want to go a little bit more here. We're already sliding away from God. But the moment we slide away from God, we'll find another thing that we want to slide away from God with. And that's the picture that we read about last week with Cain and Abel. It's like sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Why? It's because it is sliding you away from God bit by bit and therefore it is slavery. The more we lean into sin, the more it tells us that you need to do this, and the more you need to do that. I believe that most of the suffering that we experience in this lifetime in our world is because of our definitions of good and evil and other people's living in sin and we experiencing the, 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 the evil, sinful choices. And so this is sin. And then what Jesus does is that he takes away the consequences of our sin. He says, "I have died that you don't have to." So this is what he's done, right? Amazing. This he's taken, he was pierced, he was crushed. He took on the consequences of our sin so that I can be free. Amazing grace, my chains are gone. I've been set free. And so what we do when we then go my chains have gone I've been set free I now get to live however I want to be This is not working We're just getting there. You get the picture. I'll put it around my neck. Where are the chains now? Yeah, still here. I want to do whatever I want to do. I want to have my life on my terms. I want to have control. And Jesus set me free. He did. But you went back to your vomit. Jesus took the consequences and you're making new ones. And you're going, Jesus, where did you go? Well, I'm over there. You went back. You see, one of the things about grace is that grace doesn't make these chains more comfortable grace does not make these chains more good grace does not make every decision that you make okay grace does not do that grace removes the evilness of our lives the consequences of our sin and grace tells us you don't need it you get to live with jesus So when we are living with our chains and spending all of our days thinking about our chains as though this is the new rosary, and we're going, I want this, I need this, or why do they treat me so terribly because I really, you know, one of the things that I just felt God speak to me during worship, I was like, why do people go back to chains? I think one of the greatest reasons people go back to chains is because of disappointment. When I'm disappointed, I want control. When I've been hurt, I'm gone, never gonna get hurt again. And so we edge towards going, Well, I know what hurts me and I'm gonna make sure that no one ever does that to me ever again. And it's a slow process and we think that we're doing something that is wise. Because we've been hurt and i don't ever want to be hurt again and so we build these chains into our lives but that's not salvation this is not what salvation is about whenever we start to redefine good and evil for ourselves we're holding on to chains We're picking them up. Even if Jesus has set you free before, you're a dog returning to vomit. Now, there's this argument. There's this argument that Jesus' grace is so bottomless. You know, it's like this buffet of grace, that it will never run out. His love for us will never, 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 never run out. And so, even if I re-entangle myself with sin, surely God's grace will be able to remove it. The Bible actually talks about this, Romans 6, verses 1 to 4. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those, this is the language of the Bible, that what salvation is, is that we have died to sin. We have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't we know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father that we too may live a new life. So what the Bible is telling us is that the salvation, to truly experience salvation, is to look at that and go, I am dead to this is to say, I cannot live in this. There is actually some kind of reaction inside or a recognition at the very least that I cannot live in that way. The salvation that we experience is because we are distancing ourselves from sin and walking closer to Christ. Why do you think the Bible calls this vomit? Is it because it's supposed to be tasty It smells good, right? Why don't you smear vomit all over yourself? Why don't you hold it in your hands day and night because it's going to attract everyone to you? Why does the Bible use the word vomit? It's because it's meant to be disgusting. It's meant to be so gross that we don't want anything to do with it. It is supposed to, when we see sin, it's supposed to go, oh, I need to run from this. How many of you, you know, when you're going down a road, you see a bunch of dog vomit and you go, oh, that's interesting. Let's see what this dog's been having. You'll skirt around that thing. You'll walk away from it, maybe even run away from it. You will change direction because that is disgusting. In the same way, if we don't react to sin with that kind of reaction, you might not be experiencing salvation. You might not be dead to sin. You might not be saying, God, I need life in you. You're saying, I want my life with a bunch of Jesus to, you know, I have some vomit, but I also have some grace. Grace and vomit don't go together. Grace takes us away from from vomit, from sin. We are meant to be living in a way that separates from sin that is what salvation looks like and so when we think about this it really makes john the baptist's as well as jesus's first summarized message really really clear in matthew 3 verse 2 john the baptist has gone around teaching repent for the kingdom of heaven is coming near jesus then taught repent for the kingdom of heaven is here what were they saying they were saying god wants to bring his kingdom and his grace and his riches and his bounty all of that God wants us to have his kingdom and to live in this new life and the key to entrance into the kingdom is repentance however for many of us living in today's day and age we think that repentance is like apologizing apologizing is us saying sorry for doing something wrong right? You know, you say, I'm sorry for doing that. At some level, at least maybe you acknowledge and you see that you have done something wrong, but then it stops there. It's just saying, I acknowledge I've done something wrong. That's what an apology is all about. Repentance is about changing our mind. Notice it's changing your mind, not your heart, not your body. And so we actually have to teach ourselves vomit bad, God good. Oh, that's vomit. You know, for Sam, he has to learn what dirty things are. He hasn't been born with this intimate knowledge of, oh, that's Mowgli's vomit, don't touch it. It's like, oh, something new. I wonder what it tastes like. Praise the Lord. He has not even gone near to it because we clean it up as quickly as... Mowgli only vomits in the middle of the night. (sighs) Terrible cat. And so he... uh, But we need to teach Sam. Sam, that is dirty. Sam, don't touch that. Sam, don't get close to that. Sam, don't over time, he is going to have it drummed into his mind, and hopefully over time, it will sink down into his core that he understands that vomit is bad. But when we first become aware of the amazing kingdom of God, we are in this process of going, I've got to stop seeing that as good. I've got to stop recognizing and understanding that is good. Your emotions are not necessarily going to be in alignment yet. And so I see so many young people that go, oh, the kingdom of God is so great. And I also like experiencing all of this stuff. I remember this young man and it took him quite a while, but he became a Christian. It was quite a, a big transformation. He understood that God loved me. He went, yes, I want to give my whole life to God. But he was a tradie, and he would go to the bar after work or the tavern, and he would have a few drinks. And whenever he got alcohol into his system, he always did bad stuff. Always, because he was so used to playing with vomit that the moment he got even close to vomit, he was like, "Ah!" That's kind of what his life was like. And so, I was one time he called me up. I remember this. He called me up on a Saturday, and he said. Uh, maybe it was not a Saturday, it was the day after he had gone to the bar and he had drunk and then he had done some stupid things and he went, Nate, I've got to stop drinking. Because every time I drink, it takes me down a path I don't want to go down to. Was that immediate? I'm kind of like, God, when you save people, can you just like stop them from being stupid? Can you just give them this amazing like, I get it. No. The process is actually like, Jesus, I need you. And the more I want to go to your kingdom, the more I have to turn my back on vomit. I have to recognize the vomit in my life. Repentance is about changing our minds. And therefore, for me, a passage that resounds so deeply is Romans chapter 12, verse 1-2. This is what Paul says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will, the renewing of our mind. Salvation includes a resetting, a relearning, a repentance. In here, our understanding will require a shift. We can no longer call things that are evil good, We now are orienting ourselves to what God is saying. And so we go to God, and honestly, I think we go, this is pretty good, God. What do you think? Vomit. Oh. Oh, what about this one, God? This one's not that bad. That's still vomit, Nate. Don't play with it. It's like Sam playing with Mowgli's vomit. He doesn't. And he takes like a whole big chunk and say, oh, look at this. That's vomit. Okay, I won't play with that, but I'll take a couple of little things and go, what about this? Why do we do that with our lives when it comes to sin? Why do we allow ourselves to play with sin as though it is a lesser kind of vomit than it really is? See, if we want to experience the true salvation, we actually have to fully, in all areas of our life, turn away from sin and say, God, you tell me what good, you tell me what evil is. I am living according to your ways. See, one of the things that always strikes me about this verse is that it says, do not conform to the pattern of the world, be transformed by the renewing of mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. In other words, then you will be able to to know what God is defining as good and evil. Only then, how am I supposed to repent when I don't know what God is calling good and evil? It's kind of hard. Repent and go where? Change your mind to what? It's like, no, it's a bad analogy. I was going to say, it's like you've always drunk Pepsi and then it's like, repent. It's like, you need to have a Coke in order to repent from Pepsi. You know, it's terrible analogy. This is what came to my mind. I'm sorry. But we, how are we supposed to know what is God's will? And this is the problem that I've seen with a lot of Christians or people that call themselves Christians. That's between them and God. That They say, God told me god told me this god told me that you know i find in particular people that are offended always say well i went to pray god told me it's like you're offended you're disappointed you want control of the situation you aren't going to be hearing from god but for them it's like no but god told me no, no no your heart told you to run your heart told you to avoid me you know there are people that still don't want to talk to me i know it's crazy i'm such a nice person But when I point out stuff in their life and they don't like it, I don't know why the next call tends to be, you know what, Pastor Nate, thank you for all the years that you've loved me. God told me I need to go to a different church. No, God didn't tell you that. You have not renewed your mind, and therefore you are not able to test and approve what God's will is. You know, one of the things about Pentecostalism that I love is that we say that God's voice is available to all. The ability to hear from God is something that God gives to all of us. I 100% agree with that. I don't want to limit that. I love that children can hear from God and out of the innocence of their heart, they are able to speak amazingly the secrets from God's heart. Amazing! However... Pentecostalism doesn't do so good at telling you but sometimes when you are unrepentant you don't hear from God. When there are control issues in your heart you will not be hearing from God when you are disappointed and hurt with people, you will not hear from God. And that's why Jesus said that if you want to come to God and give Him an offering, and then you remember that there is hurt in your heart, you go and resolve it before you come into God's presence. Why? Because that offering is worthless, because there is unrepentance in your heart. When we don't deal with this stuff, our radar, doesn't matter whether you got the vaccine or not, you're not hearing from God. Maybe I shouldn't have gone there. (laughs) It's only through the renewing of our minds. Every time I recognize that I've been doing something that is not from God, I always am able to trace it back. And I always think, but God, you told me. And I always recognize, nope. That was when I wanted control. That's when I wanted to define good and evil for myself. Every time I've said, done something that leads to consequences that you know are hard, I always trace it back. And I realize that I couldn't hear from God because of that unrepentance in my heart, the unrepentance in my life. So how do we get to a place where we are renewing our mind? We are going through that transformation. Notice that Paul says renewing, be transformed by the renewing. It's not be transformed by the one-off renewal of your mind is the renewing of your mind why is it renewing because god is constantly speaking to us about the areas that we want control over always maybe daily and sometimes it feels like like come on god i've repented of everything i can't repent of my hair color stop telling me to repent more haven't i made it no you haven't nate There is more of the kingdom that you have to experience. There is more that you haven't seen. And when God is bringing things to mind and convicting you of sin, He's not telling you you're a bad person. He's actually saying, I'm inviting you into the kingdom. Every time He says to you, let go of that, He's not saying, because you're a bad person and you don't deserve my love. He's just knocking the vomit out of your hands and saying, come on, let's play with something better. And, and so we need to go through this process, this continual process. What does this process look like? It looks like us going to more solid places of understanding God's truth than ourselves. What does that look like? What, what are those solid places? It's something called the Bible, the written Word of God that you don't get to manipulate and change based on how you feel. You don't get to pick out a passage. Yeah, you get to hate that person. You get to hold that unforgiveness because it really was a terrible situation. Oh, you get to control that one. Yeah, for sure. That's really hard. You get to... No, no, no. The Bible is like trust God. Fully trust God. This is what God is saying. This is what God is doing. And you know what? Honestly, when there's unrepentance in us, when we read the Bible, we read what we want to read out of it. And so we do need to get other people, people like myself people who are further along, who have done the studies and the work to teach. And that's what I'm trying to do today. But more than just what happens on a Sunday, get around people and say, hey, this is what I'm thinking God is saying to me. And ask, is this what God is saying to me? Sometimes Pentecostals are so arrogant to think that God only speaks to them. Why? God doesn't just speak to you. He speaks to all of us. And when five other people or maybe even two other people have said to you, I don't think that's God. You go, oh no, you don't get to question how I hear from God. You arrogant control freak. Let go of the vomit and find the kingdom. We need to allow a culture of correction into our church where I get to ask you and you get to ask me. And people have corrected me in this church. I don't like it. But please keep going. Please tell me, Nate, when you did that, it wasn't very nice. Oh, okay. Why? Because you correcting me helps me get closer to kingdom. Me correcting you doesn't come from a place of me wanting to control your life. I've got enough problems. I don't want yours. I want you to find kingdom. I want to find kingdom. I want us to stop playing with vomit. I want us to stop playing in the mud and to realize that God's got better things for us. And so we need to come alongside each other and say, hey, buddy, when you did that, what was that out of? Where was that coming from? We need to have those conversations and go, oh, man, there is unrepentance in my heart. And I kind of bring it right back. We started off talking from Ephesians, talking about grace and works and all of that kind of stuff. I want to read it one more time. Ephesians 2, 8 to 10, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Look at this word, for, because. We've been saved from this, because God has actually already created us for things, good things that we are meant to be doing. Let me bring one more point up about repentance. Repentance brings us to a place where we are at work, where we are working, not sitting at a beach, relaxing and doing nothing. We have been saved from that To this, what's this? You are God's handiwork, created by Him for good works, which He prepared beforehand for you to do. The more we repent, the more we understand the work that God has called us to. I think in this Western civilization, we've got a real problem because we think that work is not God's business. My work is my work, and I'll do God's work on Sunday. Vomit. God has called us to work, but the work that God has called us to invigorates us, energizes us, gives us purpose and meaning for our lives. When we play with the vomit work, at some point we are drained empty, broken. I look at Paul's life, shipwrecked, beaten multiple times, stones throat at him, to an inch of his life, and he says, wonderful. The power goes out in my house, and I'm raging against God. I just wanted some downtime with that show that I've been watching. I look at the early church, and many of them martyred, killed for their faith. And I look at myself, and I go, that person that insulted me is playing on my mind. I realize I've got a journey to go on. See, God's kingdom is both here and to be. And right now is a time for us to work. And as we step away from sin, where we step away from defining good and evil by ourselves, we will find ourselves where God is putting things on our heart, things for us to do, things for us to accomplish, in our lifetimes because god is wanting to usher more of the kingdom here and that is what he's calling us to participate in so salvation isn't just god saved me from evil it's god saved me to a new life a life with him a life filled with purpose a life that is not guaranteed to be without suffering in fact the guarantee is that there will be suffering but the suffering is only temporary and the rewards are eternal And he's saying that this is what I've got for you. How many of you are willing to take it? And in my experience, far too many Christians see that as salvation. We look at the cross. Oh, thank you for the cross, rightly so. Thank you for breaking all my chains, rightly so. And then we just stay here staring at those chains and going, wow, God. Wow. Wow broken chains so good keep breaking them jesus (laughs) and god is like "Um, come on leave that vomit don't want you playing with that don't want you close to that i've got meaning and purpose i've got the task for you i've got a mission for you turn away The cross wasn't just for our brokenness. The cross was for our purposeness. I don't know that's a word. If you don't feel like your life is filled with purpose, if you don't know what God is calling you to, you might be over there. I don't say that in a condemning way. I say this because, come on, God wants us repenting, repenting, move away, move on, change your mind, I'm speaking to you, there is more to your life than this, stop defining yourself by your chains and by your past, start defining yourself by how God has purposed and designed you to be, you're fearful, that's the past, you're now as bold as a lion, you're anxious, you know what, you've got a piece of God covering your mind, Yeah? Yeah. You know your brokenness from all the sins that you used to commit. Yeah. God's now given you a breastplate of righteousness. You're clean now, baby. Let's go. We've got something to be doing with our lives. When we stop, salvation at the point of when Jesus washed away my sin, we break down the power of salvation. And that's why the Bible tells us that we continue to wrestle with our salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because there is more for us to see than I'm a Christian and I get to do whatever I want to do. Stop it. You're a Christian sinner. I don't even know if that exists. But that's what you're trying to say that you are. God is saying there is more for you. I'm a Christian and I used to have sin as my Lord, but now I've got a new Lord and he's telling me to preach the good news, to disciple, to teach, to raise people up for his kingdom. Sin will always keep you small. Sin will always tell you you can't. Sin will always hold you back. The kingdom and salvation is about so much more than that. Can we get the band up this morning? As we edge towards the end of the year, I really want to ask you, how are you renewing your mind? How are you getting ready to hear from God more? How are you preparing yourself for the more that God has for you? I don't want us to be filled with Christians that understand that Jesus breaks chains but keeps playing with them. I want to be filled with a church that the chains, we understand they've been dealt with. And now I'm living with so much more. So every time you feel broken, every time you feel less than, every time you feel incapable, fine. Let Jesus' salvation let his blood wash over those things and understand that God has created you for more. God has designed you for more. Yes, there are things that we all need to deal with, areas of sinfulness that we don't seem to be able to shake, things that just keep coming back round and round again and again. Fine. That's a part of our human existence. But repent. Repent don't just stop there. Jesus will often heal someone and say, go and sin no more. You're healed, go and sin no more. You're healed, go and sin no more. Your faith has made you well. You've got more faith than you know. You've got more grace on your side. Why do you think it's called grace? I think it's called grace because even though we keep playing with vomit, God keeps washing our hands. We don't deserve to come close to Him, but He just keeps washing and washing. But He's also pulling and saying that there is more. Can we stand this morning? We're about to close this morning. I want you to start praying. I want you to start seeking after God's heart for you. If there are any areas of repentance that God is calling out, repent, let it go, let it go, change your mind. Kingdom of God, here I come. Jesus, I'm pursuing you. Holy Spirit, I want more of you. Come on, build up that perspective. And then if God begins to put burdens and things on your heart, allow it to be and say, God, is that what you're asking me? Go talk to someone, talk to the person next to you and say, God's been putting this on my heart. What do I do about this? Journey together wreck one another, encourage one another, because God has got more for us. God is doing more in this place. Come on, if there's a certain sense in you that you go, you know what? I have been living my life filled with disappointments and filled with things that have been holding me back, and you want to let it go, I want you to come right up this morning, because I believe that God wants to do a transformative work in your life, right here, right now. The, The disappointments of the past don't have to define you. The hurts of the past don't have to define you. God is defining you this morning. God is doing more in your life. I'm going to pray. We're going to close. The kids will be coming around in just a moment. Please pick them up. Have some morning tea. But if God is speaking to you through this message this morning, respond. Cultivate a responsiveness in your heart. The more you say yes to God, the more the renewal of your mind is taking place. So dear Jesus, we thank you for what you did on the cross. We thank you that you broke the power of sin and you broke the power of the grave. We thank you that we get to live in a new life. And God, I pray that our church will step into that new life. We will step wholly and fully into the things that you have prepared for us to do beforehand. God, I pray for those who are struggling with past hurts and disappointment. I pray for those who are worried about losing control. And I pray to God that you show yourself that the kingdom of heaven is larger, stronger, better for them. And I pray that we will run towards your kingdom together as a church. We thank you, Jesus. I pray this in your name. Amen. Manual leaders, if you just want to allow God to speak to you, please stick around. If you want prayer like I've mentioned, please come forward. I believe that God is doing a great work this morning. Thank you so much, church. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Lift Church or on Facebook at Lift Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.